0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. My name is Marty Bennett, and today it's Wednesday, September 27th, 2023, and we're going to be answering three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last seven days. And as we do each week on The Roundup, we take a look at all the different factors that are impacting our world in international education. We do that first as a result of our newsletter that comes out on Mondays, that's called All the SMIE News Fit to Share. And it takes, uh, a look at both the top social media news stories of the week as well as international education stories it also includes a global roundup of the top uh, news stories from around the around the world that we are working, working with uh, that uh, are receiving destinations for international education uh, students and this is uh, our version of our hot takes on those top issues of the day or top news stories of the day and then we take a look at uh, in, in depth, in a, a couple different ways, we look at the different uh, themes that have developed in those news stories and we come up uh, with our questions that we do each week for the roundup here on Wednesdays. And as uh, we do each week, we do I uh, like to drop in the links to uh, first our website where you can subscribe to that newsletter if you prefer an email version of it. Also, this week's latest email version of that newsletter so you can see what it looks like. Uh, If you go to that SMIE.Consulting.org site slash subscribe, uh, you're going to be able to add your details in in the subscribe section and get uh, that email delivered to your inbox at 9 a.m. Eastern every Monday morning. Uh, Now, the other uh, way of getting that, if you prefer and to get your international ed news via LinkedIn, we also have a a free LinkedIn version of that newsletter, and between the two now, we have uh, well over 1,300 subscribers uh, to the newsletter, so we're happy that it can be a part of your international edification each week. And hopefully this roundup on Wednesdays, um, we do it live at 1 p.m. Eastern, and we know most uh, folks can't make the live shows, and that's great. We always give you a shout-out. If you do pop in a comment in the chat, uh, we'll certainly give you a shout-out uh, live here on the Roundups. But if uh, we realize everybody's busy and uh, often traveling, and uh, maybe you prefer to watch them on repeat, or maybe subscribe to the audio-only podcast version, which now has over 3,000 downloads over the over the time that we've been doing uh, the podcast version of the Roundup. So thanks again for uh, being here on Wednesday afternoon to uh, enjoy our deeper thoughts on some of these key issues of the day. Now following on from last week where we were talking about personalization as as an important element in any solid international student recruitment strategy, uh, we want to take a next step up and talk about email comm flows and how do you make your email com flow really matter. And this is probably one of the biggest missed opportunities for institutions in terms of uh, being able to reach students uh, using a tool that you can have much more customization than you realize perhaps and or have thought possible than you maybe were able to 10 20 years ago when uh, email was just becoming a thing in the in the early 2000s as a way to communicate effectively with students uh, this is something now uh, where emails can and should be sophisticated in terms of the com flows that you have set up for your prospective students uh, we know that not all students most students don't inquire about the university first before they apply they're so the shadow app or stealth applicants that uh, was became a became a real phenomenon in the late noughties and early teens and how you respond to students like that that maybe haven't gotten all those value messages about why your institution is the place uh, for them and, and potentially giving them the kind of content that is specific and, and generates interest and not just uh, covers the reasons why they should apply, which is already done if the first point of contact is an application. So how does your messaging change? for that kind of an audience. Do, does it change? Or you just say, okay, here's their first point of contact and we'll just take out all the apply now messages and here they'll just get the, a series of messages after that about, uh, about completing their application, about the next steps and uh, be after they've, uh, they've finished the application process, financial aid, all of those other things. But are those the right messages to be sending? So these are the things that we, we want to talk about with this kind of uh, question. How do you make your email com flow really matter? Uh, the way we're gonna do that today is uh, dropping in the link to the news story that references kind of what we're talking about here. It's an upcoming webinar uh, that uh, our friends at Keystone or UniQuest actually, uh, uh, the, what, the subsidiary of, uh, of uh, Keystone, uh, purchased a couple, three years ago uh, by, by Keystone. It's called UniQuest. Uh, The founder of Uniquest, Rachel Fletcher, and a couple other folks uh, from University of Dundee and Edified uh, join a PI Pi News uh, webinar. Uh, for, and, uh, for this, this particular topic on student inquiries, the open goal of international recruitment. Uh, open goal for, is, is more uh, of a soccer reference or football ref, uh, world football reference. Open goal means it's an opportunity that can't be missed. It's, it's right there in front of you. Nothing's preventing you from getting uh, scoring on that open goal. That means the goalkeeper's out of position, no other defender's in the way. But this is what, what they're calling it, an open goal. I call it a missed opportunity if you don't take advantage of the student inquiries that you have coming in. So uh, it's a webinar coming up on October 5th. So a week from, let's see, that's going to be next next Thursday so in terms of what that that particular uh, conversation means for you uh, it may you may be at an institution that has a fairly well uh, set up CRM and you're able to segment your uh, your audiences and able to get uh, be m- m- far beyond the t- typical dear first name kind of inquiries that uh, we that most universities send uh, hopefully you have opportunities to have an, a separate international conflow international student comp because we know international students have very different needs uh, and how would they perceive a value uh, if uh, that's a value of if affordability is a value of your institution because at the undergraduate level uh, domestic students have access to a wide assortment of financial aid uh, and that reduces the overall cost uh, to attend to a much more reasonable level. Uh, that message of affordability doesn't apply to international students because they're not eligible for that same federal aid that you generously give to your domestic students. So how do you balance that value? If that, if affordability is a value, how do you talk about that in terms of uh, a, a different way for an international audience? So this is a part of the conversation that our institutions need to start having if they are only using the same uh, ComFlow for every level of student. Uh, maybe just uh, switching out undergraduate for graduate, or international for uh, domestic students in terms of the kind of messages that go out. So this, uh, I think, is something that uh, is a is an opportunity for. Any institution, if you have questions about why we need to be as sophisticated as, as this might, or as I've, I've talked about, as this, the folks that are doing this um, from UniQuest, uh, Dundee, uh, UniQuest started in the UK, and most of their clients are. are, are, are either british or european but they have expanded into the u.s and other markets in recent years and it's a it's always been a passion area of mine that the communication we send to students should be appropriate should be personalized and should be on point for them and their their particular audience and for most institutions that's not happening uh it's not happening because they're uh, either there's not the bandwidth to develop separate com flows it's there's no thought really put behind how messaging goes out to this group versus uh, versus uh, domestic groups. Uh, and there's not even opportunities or thought given into should we segment out for students from different countries. Uh, do we have different comm flows for students in different academic programs. Why can't we do something similar for students that are coming from certain countries where we know we have significant students from that re- from that country and get very personal with them and show that we acknowledge them as individuals and that they have a different set of needs and potentially concerns that the average student Uh, would not have. So that would be very different than what a US student might need to hear about campus visits pushing out campus visit messages to international students whose addresses are clearly not in the United States is just silly. It's wasted effort. And it's an effort that could be replaced by a message that's more appropriate for international students, uh, focusing on the other virtual parts of your, digital, of your uh, visit strategy, of um, virtual open houses you might be hosting, uh, regular opportunities to have virtual tours given to you on demand. So those are kind of opportunities that do exist, but they're never really focused on specifically for intended audiences. And this is something that I've struggled with at institutions I've been at where I'm not particularly in responsible for the, the messaging out. I have input, I I've, I've, I've make my suggestions, but whether it actually happens or not, that's oftentimes beyond me. But where I have had control, it has been a real concerted effort. By those that are involved in messaging out, not just the students that are responding, student workers that are responding to emails that come in, but our staff uh, responding to uh, the different international uh, messages that might, students from abroad that might be coming in. So why does that matter? Uh, Because students want to be valued as individuals. They want to be recognized as having uh, specific needs and concerns that they would like to be seen as those uh, with those individuals with those needs and that responded to accordingly. And this is something that we, we really must, if we're gonna be really impactful with our messaging out, with our ComFlow strategies. To our international students, we should be doing this already with domestic students, because every uh, every uh, every student group that we might be dealing with have, that has different sets of issues, there should be appropriate communication to those students that addresses their concerns and their issues. And internationals are no different, uh, because the uh, the regulatory issues that they face, the financial restrictions that they're under, the employment opportunities that they can or can't do while they're in the, enrolled in the United States, the travel restrictions, all of these things are impact them that don't impact domestic students of any kind. So why are you not having communication that speaks to those needs and recognizes them? That potentially, after they're admitted, Talking through uh, ways that they can get connected with our current student association that represents them on campus. Ways that they can, before they're admitted, that they can hear from students from their own region, from their own country via video content or or testimonials that they've given in short, either web-based text form or video content that you have available. Sharing that embedding that in your communication out to them. Why wouldn't you do that if you have that opportunity? And often, oftentimes, if you're in a larger uh, admissions office where you're one person and there isn't aren't really the resources to dedicate toward that, you're oftentimes fighting an uphill battle to get your content that, that you know your international students want and need to hear out to them in a timely and effective and efficient manner. Whereas whereas if a, a CRM is built and recognizes recognizes and identifies certain criteria in, in, your, in your database of students that students from X country should get this message, students from Y country should get this message, students from X country gets a different message. If those are all available and programmed into your ComFlow then that can happen, but if it's you just ma- manually having to send it out, all these information, all these individual emails out covering these different topics at different times during the year, you don't have bandwidth to do that if you're a one-person shop. You really don't, so you need uh, need to invest in the time and the resources, hopefully from, if you're a one-person shop, someone, whoever's managing your CRM or managing ComFlows, if it's Slate, if it's Salesforce, whatever it is, you have someone that uh, you can work with to develop the content that can go and create a stream of messages that are appropriate and directed to the students that you're, you're specifically trying to enroll. Uh, if that's your international, is your area of responsibility. So, uh, very much looking forward to this webinar. Unfortunately, I'll be in Indonesia, so I'll have to watch the recorded version. Uh, it'll be uh, be let's see, October fifth at uh, it's British time, nine a.m. Eastern, so it will be uh, close to eight p.m. Uh, after a fair day in Indonesia, where I'll be in the, in the next week. Uh, so I'll probably be catching the recording of that. So. Want to make these kinds of resources available to you, uh, even if it just sparks a conversation about on your campus with your leadership about the need for this kind of personalized approach towards uh, towards um, uh, to to your communication with your prospective students. One thing that uh, Keys or excuse me, does have uh, is something uh, a survey that's delivered by Edified called. Annual inquiry, 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 experience tracker (EET), and that is an annual study uh, that has uh, been given to 128 institutions now that are receiving uh, students that are um, uh, uh, institutions that want to have, be mystery shopped uh, by uh, by. By Uniquest, by Edify, and that tracks uh, tracks the responses to from student inquiries to, uh, from the different institutions that are 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 being considered for this. So, very interesting a topic and one that I think is key to really an overall well run communication flow to uh, to international students. That is separate. That is personalized and can be segmented down on different levels beyond academics into country level and perhaps interest levels that may have been expressed at different points in the year and have topics throughout it uh, that can be talked to the needs of individual international students. So really uh, important topic to start our conversation with today. Uh, The next one is uh, a topic that uh, for those of you who followed uh, my journey with international ed and uh, international enrollment management, uh, this is one that uh, resonates with me quite significantly. And it's what's in a name when it comes to an organization. Now, uh, this is all about IRC and the new addition to their name. Uh, it, uh, it gives us, uh, not flashbacks, but those who have been in, in the international ed industry for uh, quite a while, uh, know that NAFSA uh, is an acronym that used to stand for National Association of Foreign Student Advisors and that organization was specifically for those people that worked with students that were going abroad, but mostly a US centered uh, organization and with international students scholar offices. That was the original niche of international ed that NAFSA really spoke to, National Association of Foreign Student Advisors, but it had become much more than that by the late 90s, early 2000s, where it was included, uh, study abroad folks were included in the mix of that. Uh, There was, in in addition to international student scholars, uh, there was an international, International enrollment management section. There was a uh, uh, teaching, learning, and scholarship section. There was a leadership and service, uh, uh, leadership and yeah, leadership and service uh, section, Knowledge community as well. It was carved out of this, uh, out of the, that, kind of defined the different elements of what international education is and who's under the umbrella of uh, international. Education in the United States, but also globally. So, uh, NAFSA changed its name to, instead of NAFSA, the Association of Foreign Student Advisors, to, or the National Association of Foreign Student Advisors, excuse me, uh, to NAFSA, the Association of International Educators. So, they changed their name to be more reflective of of their membership, of all the different areas of international education that they had uh, identified as priority areas for. Uh, for international education. So, ERC has changed their name. Their new name is ERC, the Association of International Enrollment Management. So, this new name is, I think, uh, uh, an excellent reflection of where ERC stands in the wider world of international education. Uh, they were founded in 2008 as an agency accreditation body that was very much for U.S. institutions to find. Uh, certified agents that ARC would certify, and there's a process that agencies can go through to become certified. It's, it's expensive, but they, if they go through this process, it captures a lot of the bigger players in the industry, all the aggregators, uh, some of the major master agents in different countries, uh, and, and, and some very, very uh, productive agencies uh, in India and throughout East and South Asia. So uh, that, that's the primary focus of AIRC was uh, initially agency accreditation, so U.S. institutions that were trying to come into grips with trying to do international education and uh, trying to identify potential partners in key markets that could help them recruit students. Uh, At the time in 2008, the agency uh, working with educational agents was not a very uh, common uh, practice. Uh, Less than a third of institutions in 2008, 2009, 2010 were working with international agents, educational agents, but uh, ARC was formed to uh, identify those those agencies that have a proven track record, uh, keeping in mind that when this started in 2008, Uh, The Brits, the Canadians, and uh, Australians had been using educational agents for uh, some in some countries up to two decades before AERC was founded in the early uh, mid mid 80s, uh, when Australia really uh, began tracking uh, tracking educational agents, certifying agents, and that type of thing. So, AERC was for the for U.S. institutions really opened the door. To uh, institutions that, in the in the mid mid to late 90s, were really starting to engage more with international student recruitment, and were really trying to find uh, pathways because the uh, the traditional methods uh, for many state institutions, for example, they weren't really traveling uh, that weren't the flagship institutions weren't really traveling abroad, uh, and they were looking for new ways to find students to offset. Domestic uh, shortfalls in revenue that were coming from their states, uh, and then agents became a, a big part of that. China became a huge focus of these of these of uh, of uh, RC and in the early days, and agencies in ARC that ARC certified received a lot of attention from U.S. institutions, and beyond that as well. But uh, this organization uh, has evolved quite a bit in the last decade, I would say, uh, in the ten years uh, that. Um, since 2013, when um, uh, the uh, there was a there was a hearing uh, and NACAC was involved heavily in this in terms of they had a best a, a, a code of conduct best uh, best practices for their members that uh, one of the features of that for NACAC members was you can't work with educational agents, commission-based agents. Uh, NACAC changed its tune and then a a couple of years later, three, four years later, Education USA changed the tune and uh, the work, uh, being able to work with educational agents became much more common, uh, much more seen as above board and appropriate. And what I think, in in terms of ERC's development as an organization, uh, it certainly is no longer just for U.S. institutions. There are Canadian, U.K., uh, other institu- Australian uh, universities that come to this conference, AERC conference, uh, to connect with uh, with advisee- or with agencies that might be looking to um, to to help universities build their brands in particular markets. But I think as AIRC has evolved uh, and, the, and the kinds of institutions that it's working with has evolved, the kinds of priorities of institutions have shifted from just not just the recruitment side, which is probably one of the most significant steps forward this organization could have taken, is the focus in recent years has become much more on the entire enrollment management picture for international students. and what. Uh, what universities need to have, not just to bring them in the door, but to take care of the ones that come to their campuses and make sure they have services in place to meet those needs. And when those needs are met, students are, are happy, students go home and tell their friends and so on and so on, and uh, the, the increases the traffic in students coming to those institutions. So for me, this is an, uh, a natural evolution of ERC in terms of its, uh, uh, its uh, particular a, uh, focus as an institution, and I, i've I've seen this happen too not just with the universities that are part of IRC are becoming more savvy when it comes to developing full life cycle planning for international students from not just the initial admissions piece and getting to campus, but orientation, advising, programming, not just within the international office but across the campus offices that deal with international students. They all have an important part to play in the eventual success of that student and becoming a successful alumni of their institution. So the institutions that approach international, as we're doing here at UNLV, are really uh, Focused on this entire enroll, what I call international enrollment lifecycle, not just enrollment management, isn't just getting them from first year to second year. It's managing international students throughout their in- enrolled time at the university till the time they become successful graduates. And all of those pieces are can be triggers positively or negatively in whether a student's going to succeed in in their journey and appreciate what the institution's done in helping them get there. And this reflection in AirSea uh, with the change of name is important. I, I put a lot of value in AirSea as an institution. I, I, 10, 15 years ago, when I was working with Education USA, that wasn't the case. Uh, there was uh, there was actually uh, uh, before the State Department opened the door to allow Education USA. Advisors to work with educational agents. There were universities that would not engage with agents because Education USA said that they wouldn't work with agents. But now we're in a much more open society in terms of in, in the international ed world in terms of its acceptance uh, for agents. Education USA can work with agents of particular institutions at their events. Education USA advisors attend. Uh, Agent fares, as well as in a promotional aspect for the services that they provide at Education USA, uh, there's 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 definite uh, more a, a higher sense of uh, need for uh, willingness to cooperate. And cooperation in between institutions and agencies, and different partners like Education USA, like universities that are looking to partner with overseas uh, institutions. Education USA plays that role too now. Uh, so I think there's greater recognition that more of the agents are engaged in this, uh, in, in international education beyond just that enrollment piece because it, it's in their best interests that the students that they're sending to universities that are partners with them are institutions where they're going to be taken care of. And that there are now agencies that are helping helping universities that they're partnering with in that transition period when they're coming to campus, but also after they've enrolled and helping to stay in touch with them and, and uh, rel- uh, Uh, aid them along the way if needed and just uh, also but also showing that care of uh, duty of care throughout their time that shows uh, commitment that that agency is making to their students. And that that reflects well, certainly with parents, it reflects well with institutions when we see partners that we are looking to engage with that are already actively continuing that journey with their their former advisees, even after they've enrolled in the United States. That says a lot because it's the agencies that also are benefiting by having their students be successful at the institutions where they're placed. But the universities are also uh, concerned, more highly concerned with that student services piece now than they were 10-15 years ago. So I'm really excited about this name change because it signals a great intent. Um, and kudos to Brian Whalen and the, and the leadership board at um, ARC at in terms of, and Derek um, Alex, the current president of ARC from University of Houston. Uh, they've all been involved in this transition, uh, past presidents as well, Jing Luan, um, who I'm working with on a, on a book chapter that's going to be debuting around ARC conference in December. More on that next when it comes available. But there's a real sense within the organization at ARC that uh, there's much more to what they do and should be doing to help members uh, in understanding the full life cycle picture for uh, for international students on their campuses. So uh, kudos to RC for taking this big step and uh, uh, Brian I know is this is kind of his swan song conference. Brian Whalen the current executive director uh, who will be uh, stepping down from his role as executive director after the December conference and uh, setting up whoever takes the role next uh, for for success long term. So congratulations to RC on this important step forward for them as an organization and for our field. Now the third area of the day is a question that seems a little odd. Why is Marty talking about the UK general election that isn't happening until at the earliest 2025? Uh, so why is this a priority? So let's let's uh, put it all in perspective here. There's a couple different issues that are are, are percolating to the surface here uh, with the UK. We've already seen the current Home Secretary uh, in the last six months has uh, put her foot down and said uh, we are uh, not going to allow dependents of non PhD students. To come in with the student uh, when they come for study, that that's already happening. Uh, there are huge markets for that, coming from India, coming from Nigeria. That those students that are coming for one-year master's programs would also be bringing families with them after uh, December, after January 1st. That they will no longer be able to do that. We talked a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, now in the newsletter, there was a story about how UK universities are adding. Uh, December intake to take it there, get one last group of those de- uh, master's degree students with dependents in before the before the rule change takes a, a effect on January 1st. So uh, U.S. UK universities are being creative in terms of trying to get around these new prohibitions that the uh, home, home, uh, home Office and the, uh, the government are putting in place. Uh, you now are seeing um, uh, uh, some. There was an article that the PI put out that. Uh, what our U.K. international educators want to see in manifestos in the next election. And for those not familiar with the U.K. Uh, political scene, uh, there are three parties, uh, Labor, uh, Tories, and Liberal Democrats, and each of them have constituencies, and uh, they, those are the three main parties that make up the, uh, the parliament in, the, in England uh, and other, other in Scotland and Wales, uh, Northern Ireland, they have their own uh parliaments as well, that this is as the kind of the catch-all, but they have these three parties kind of uh, rule the roost, and it's been primarily between Labour and, Conserv- and Tories over the last uh, couple decades. Uh, Lib Dems have never held uh, a prime minister, prime minister position in, uh, in England, but uh, that could change. Uh, we don't know if it will or not, but each of these parties uh, develops manifestos Uh, that uh, represent how that party views this whatever topic it is, whether it's foreign affairs, whether it's economic development, whether it's immigration, whether it's international education, all of those. Uh, Each of these parties uh, will develop manifestos that represent their core beliefs as a party. So, uh, what will happen uh, in the next general election? There's a lot of uncertainty in the higher ed community in terms of what what what, what direction it goes. If the Tories stay in power, does that mean more restrictions? If uh, Labour comes back into 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 power, will that mean a, a more opening up of uh, of opportunities for international education? There's a lot still to be decided. We also saw a story this past week that visa fees just jumped uh, to almost $600 U.S. for an international student that wants to study in the UK to, to get their student visa there. So all of that, uh, all of these topics that are p- bubbling to the surface are really uh, leaving a lot of educators in England kind of uh, this, realizing this is their time to really get in front of their uh, the potential leadership in these parties that uh, can they can convince that uh, expanded international education opportunities are an important uh, driver for uh, UK uh, growth, economic growth, but also cultural well-being and all of the different uh, pieces of uh, why we talk about international education as a benefit to our to our students and to our communities. So it's, I'll be eager to see what that looks like. One of the articles that I've referenced here is uh, from um, University World News by a couple of colleagues, Luis Nickel uh, and Alan Preece, uh called Ticking Time Bomb of Foreign Students Must Be Diffused with Data. And it, it references what's happening in the UK uh, with uh, HESA data and HEPI data and uh, when that comes out, UCAS data as well, And but also talks about how other countries are dealing with the, the issue of data and how that's actually driving public policy as we saw in Australia. We saw the uh, data that helped uh, Australian universities uh, that uh, address the issue of data uh, Dodgy providers that uh, students who enroll in a university program and then switch uh, to uh, a less, a lower quality, uh, sometimes some would say dodgy provider, uh, where it would cost less, and uh, they just uh, use that as their step to immigration. Uh, They've uh, that data has helped Australian government make, make that switch. Uh, so, there's also, uh, it also gave them data was used to make the decision on uh, cutting back on the work hours that had been full t- uh, up to 40 hours a week uh, for international students back down to 20, 25 hours a week uh, now that uh, back to pre pandemic levels. So, uh, their numbers have come back up, uh, but now they're trying to set the stage for further growth, uh, and we'll see uh, if that happens. Uh, with Australia or if they've hit a wall and um, they're not quite back up to pre-pandemic levels in terms of uh, new arrivals but it looks like that they that they're, they're on track to be there by the end of the, the next year uh, the the numbers that uh, we're dealing with in, in Australia are, are are as important as what we're seeing in in um, in Canada, more so more so important in Canada, when you see those numbers, the 900,000 pot potential international students enrolled in university and vocational college level education in Canada, that there's talks of caps and that data is one of the main reasons why there's caps. So in England, certainly no different. Uh, they're going to be looking at uh, the numbers, uh, particularly in the next year. 2024, as uh, le- in the lead-up to the election, uh, which would, pr- as earliest as it will happen, will be January of 2025. So, why are we mentioning this now in, in September 23? Just because these are the kinds of topics in England that receive a whole lot of attention whenever there's a news story or something that uh, gets uh, in the way or uh, uh, grabs the, att- the headlines. Uh, students that are uh, there's also the issue of international students facing financial hardship arising rising because of a uh, lack of access to housing and uh, the affordability issues there uh, the students that are at risk and in, uh, in how institutions need to be develop these hardship funding uh, specialist hardship funding case of uh, funding uh, increasing that level of funding for uh, international students in the UK. These are all the kinds of issues that percolate to the surface uh, pre-election and that will become rallying cries for universities to address and hope that universities can help uh, play a leading role in, in convincing leadership in different parties that their cause is just and that uh, deserves funding, deserves uh, uh, changes in regulations, whatever the case may be. So this this takes time in the UK in terms of developing uh, the, the manifestos for the, for the different parties so that they don't, uh, they have their own, each party has their own leader and whoever's party gets the most seats in Parliament, that's the one who becomes president. But that member party member who's their party leader is also has to be elected from their home district wherever it is in order to be uh, elevated to prime minister should they win the most seats so these are there's it's high stakes and and like we in the u.s we're already uh, in uh, debates are happening for uh, the Republican Party that's leading up to the November 24 elections. So you can see we're seeing a little bit of that and how important that that they're developing their policies and that will represent their party uh, for in the in the elections in 2024, particularly when the primaries start happening in in February, January, February. So lots going on, and certainly politics uh, impacts what we do in in our field and. Uh, we need to advocate as much as we can. As I know, my British colleagues are now with their elected representatives and making sure that their voices are heard, uh, and that the issues that are most important to them are addressed by uh, the leadership of the different parties. So that's all we have for you today on the midweek roundup. Thank you for, again for making this making this uh, roundup a part of your international edification, and we hope to see you around the way. Uh, next week we'll be in Indonesia. We'll be doing uh, some graduate fairs for. Uh, through Education USA, and uh, Wednesday I uh, will be uh, be in in let's see where will I be? I will be in Indonesia uh, attending a fair, hopefully in Malang, uh, in Indonesia. So until next time, uh, live from Indonesia, we'll be back with you uh, next week. So until then, have a great day. Cheers.